All righty. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, hour number two of the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You're going to hear all about the polling. You have been hearing about the polling. 56% of Americans oppose overturning Roe v. Wade, and 55% of Americans also do not support abortion in the second trimester or later. So it seems like there's almost some kind of area where we could come to an agreement here, don't you think? Maybe, guys, huh? gals, somewhere? No? It's just going to be all or nothing, right? Is that the idea? There's a woman who posted a video on her TikTok account, which has now been locked down because of it. I'll play that in a minute. First, let me get to the phones here. Mike has been waiting patiently. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the program. How are you? Oh, thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Uh, I've listened to you for a short time in North Carolina. I love your show. I love you. your intelligence on the Constitution and things. But I'd like to address the question, which hasn't really come up, or at least for debate or conversation. In the 14th Amendment, on the 14th Amendment clause, it talks about citizenship. So before you can have rights, you have to have citizenship. By Senator Jacob Howard, and I'll read it verbatim, it won't be very long, it just says, the citizenship will, of course, this does not include persons born in the United States who are foreign aliens or belong to families of ambassadors. I'll stop there. What that meant was the reason why the argument came up was because what do we do with the American Indians? So they had to define the word jurisdiction and allegiance. So they didn't believe that the, the uh, Native Americans would be allegiant to the United States government. Who were they going to be allegiant to? They were going to be allegiant to their tribes. So using that as an example, a child is allegiant to the mother because the mother has jurisdiction over the child. So the rights convey to the child by natural birth. The child doesn't um, have to go to court and petition for his rights. They are born with it. That's the reason why if a mother goes over, let's say, Italy and gives birth, okay, the kid may be an Italian citizen, but why does the child go back home with the mother? The mother has jurisdiction, thus the rights follow with that child. So when they make this argument about does the baby have rights, it's creating an alternate argument that doesn't exist. That's, the- so that's my point. Uh, so uh, your your question was about, or your point was about when the rights attach. Yes. Well, the baby automatically has rights, is what I'm saying. I understand because that. The mother is a jurisdiction. That's, when you say the baby, what does that mean? Uh, the embryo from, from time of conception. Ah. To, yeah. For, so, yeah right. And when they talk about it's not a child, well, if it were a crime scene, that baby has different DNA than both the mother and the father. So that makes that child a completely different person. So my body, my right, uh, applies right up until the moment of conception. Now you're carrying someone else's body. Right. So the bodily autonomy argument uh, is what you're referencing there. And this is why I ask the question about when rights attach, because when, when people are forced to answer it, then you get clarification of their position. You believe rights attach at conception because that's new DNA. That's a person. And that's, I think, a a defensible position. Um, I I find it completely unpersuasive when people try to tell me that it's only after the child can survive on its own viability, whatever, outside of the womb, because now you're creating a standard 
where Kermit Gosnell could uh, act with impunity and never face any ramifications for his actions. Um, well, not only that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. But not only that, if that's going to be the argument, then you cannot charge someone with two murders right. if they kill a pregnant woman. Right, like Ray Carruth was. Ray Carruth was exactly. charged with uh, attempted murder of uh, of his son, Chancellor, and uh, and Sharika Adams. He was charged yep. in both of those and convicted. So it, the law recognizes that baby, that unborn baby, as as a life worth protecting, exactly. and that is in the state's interest. That's what the state does. It protects people who can no longer uh, protect themselves, either because they've been victimized and are dead, um, or yeah, or or there are other potential victims lined up, and they're trying to prevent other potential victims from being victimized by this exactly uh, defendant. Right. Yeah, exactly right. So yeah, I think we see it the same. Great show. Thanks, Love Mike. Listen to everyone, and uh, thank you again for taking my call. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I appreciate you hanging on. Thanks for making it. Seven zero four five seven zero eleven ten one eight hundred WBT eleven ten. So this is Michelle Rhodes. Her uh, TikTok account is now locked down. Uh, Michelle Rhodes official is the uh, the name of her account. But I thought she had an interesting take on this. And I thought it was interesting because it's kind of like mine. You know who the left should blame for the overturning of Roe versus Wade? Not the Supreme Court, not Christians, not conservatives, not Republicans, not pro-lifers. The only ones they should be blaming are themselves. It is 100% their fault Roe got overturned. A lot of people, myself included at one point in time, could sympathize with the scared teenager, with the drug addict who had no business bringing a baby into this world. We could understand that we didn't like it, we didn't agree with it, but we could at least understand it. We went from safe, legal, and rare to up to the moment of birth. We gave you an inch and you took a mile. We drew the line when you decided that you should be able to murder a fully formed infant up to the moment it exits your body you have no one to blame but yourselves all right there you, oh, there you go so that is a sentiment that i saw this weekend expressed in many different ways on a couple different topics there was another ruling today about the coach praying he's allowed to do that he's allowed to say a prayer the coach on the field whatever after the game or whatever these are victories that are being handed down, and you know what they are? They're reactions. These are the responses. This is the sleeping dog that's no longer sleeping. Now, I'm not saying that like, oh, be scared, oh, we're tough people. I'm saying there's a reason why that phrase exists. You let the sleeping dogs lay because you don't want to disturb them. Better to just walk on past, right? But you end up here. Because you made us care. You made us care. And I'm not saying care like, oh, I'm aware of this issue, and so I care about the issue. No, no. Like, you forced us to enter into these debates. As she mentioned, we gave you this inch, and you ran for the mile. You're now pushing more and more and more and more uh, abortions later and later and later and later. And this is one of the things I've talked about this repeatedly as well, the the flabbiness, the laziness on the left to defend their arguments. That's why when you read these, like I'm reading the editorials from the Charlotte Observer editorial board where they apparently have like eight people that can't even formulate a better 
editorial piece than like the stuff people were writing at the high school newspaper where I worked. But anyway, intellectually lazy and flabby, they've gotten soft. They don't have to defend themselves. They don't have to defend these positions. They had cover. They had cover. All they had to say was, it's the law. And then they didn't have to think about it anymore. And you know who else didn't have to think about it? Irresponsible men for years didn't have to think about it. You gave them cover. You gave everybody cover so they didn't have to think in terms of consequences for actions. That was you guys. And so now that we get to have the debate, that we get to have this debate, first time in my lifetime, I'm as old as Roe v. Wade. And now I'm going to be older. Um, but as, yeah, it was a, you may say, no, I'm not even going to make the joke, but I have survived. Let's just say that. Um, I have been arguing and thinking of these issues for years as a lot of people on the right have a lot of people in the mushy middle and on the left. They haven't, they haven't had to, it was irrelevant. It was settled law and I didn't want to think about it. And again, I trace this back to David Delighton and the videos. People saw what was happening and were were aghast. It was grotesque. And that blew it open. All of a sudden, people started realizing, wait a minute, we've been able to ignore a lot of this stuff for a very long time. And maybe we shouldn't have been. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. Going over some of the reaction to the Dobbs decision that came down on Friday. We did cover the decision, so if you want to know like what the decision was about and language from the, the, the ruling, go back and get the podcast from Friday. We covered it in depth on Friday. This is now really about the reaction, and it's been... Uh, expected. But I, I I do admit, I did expect a little bit more um, intellectual heft from our friends on the left on this. I did. I expected there to be a little bit better reasoning instead of just the it's a devastating blow to bodily autonomy and reproductive freedom. I expected a little bit more. What they have done is they've singled out a line that Justice Clarence Thomas wrote talking about other uh, presidential court cases, rulings that were not based on law that the Supreme Court has issued and that they should, the court should uh, uh, reexamine those. And then he listed several of them, Griswold v. Connecticut, which was uh, about the right to contraception, Uh, Lawrence v. Texas, which was about same-sex relationships and marriage, um, or same-sex relationship, and and these were the anti-sodomy laws, I should say. And then there was the Obergefell ruling, which was uh, about gay marriage. And I keep saying this because I have to keep saying it which was on the gay marriage front, I did not care who people married. If gay people wanted to get married, they wanted to get married in a church, go for it. I do not believe the government should be uh, giving seals of approval or offering up its uh, stamp for 
what are religious ceremonies. Now, there are contracts that can be agreed upon, and as long as the contracts are for a legal purpose, I'm fine with there being a standard marriage contract. That's always been my view. I tried to argue with people on the right about this for years. Uh, it went nowhere. And then a Bergerville comes along, and I read that thing, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is just a mess. It, it does a thing. It results in a thing that I have no problem with. But the rationale to get there is terrible. And uh, that's what we just saw happen with Roe. The rationale, the legal contortions that they twisted themselves into in order to get that done made it ripe for undoing. It took 50 years, but it did get undone. And it went back, it's going back to the states where it should have been left initially. It's where it should have been left. Anyway. It's a devastating blow to bodily autonomy and reproductive freedom that's expected to lead to near total bans on abortion in roughly half the country. But the most chilling line in the ruling spoke to new steps that the court might take on other rights that no longer appear to be safe either. What is she talking about or what are they talking about? This is the editorial board. What are they talking about? The one line that Thomas wrote. And that the liberal justices opined about. They they expressed that worry. So that then becomes the thing that all the legacy media outlets, allies of the left, that's what they promulgate. They keep pushing the, this idea. But if you look at the, the ruling and you look at Clarence Thomas's opinion, nobody signed on to his opinion. So there were eight other justices that signed different opinions than Thomas's. So he is a minority of one on the bench on this matter. Not only that, but the majority opinion specifically walled off these issues, saying it only applied to abortion. And what makes abortion unique is that it includes the life of another person. See, because the other part about when rights attach, that question is it also highlights when the rights of the mother and the rights of the baby are now in conflict. Because there is conflict there. If the mother wants to terminate the pregnancy, wants to remove the baby from the planet, right? That those rights are now in conflict. And so if you're going to say that the mother should always have the ability to do that, see, this is why I say it's a very clarifying line of questioning because If you're going to make the argument that even when the rights are in conflict, mom always gets final say, that is advocacy for abortion on demand all the way through the entire pregnancy. How could it how could it be not? How could it be anything less? Right. When do rights obtain? And then who wins when the rights are in conflict? They go on to say in this uh, editorial. The court's liberal justices who co-authored a sorrowful dissent issued a similar warning, which is really all that we read, writing that the decision not only robs Americans of their reproductive freedom, but also places in jeopardy other rights from contraception to same-sex intimacy and marriage. That's what they said. That's what they believe is going to occur, but they have no proof that it would, and they have evidence, actually, to the contrary, as I just mentioned. But there was another thing they wrote. Most threatening of all, they said, no language in today's decision stops the federal government from prohibiting abortions nationwide 
once again from the moment of conception and without exceptions for rape or incest. Most threatening of all, no language stops the federal government from banning it nationwide. That's what the liberals wrote. They were so worried that the federal government is not going, there's nothing that prevents the feds from banning it. Exactly what sort of language would they have liked to see? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. This bodily autonomy argument that the uh, editorial board over at the Observers uh, wrote about is uh, very well dismantled in a piece by Ryan Anderson and Alexandra DeSanctis. You could read it at thepublicdiscourse.com. It's called Why the Arguments About Bodily Autonomy and Forced Birth Fail to Justify Abortion. Uh, just one note, though, real quick on their uh, on the editorial uh, they close out, or near the, the second-to-last statement uh, in their editorial the other day, is state elections will be more important than ever as the court has declared states the arbiters of abortion and perhaps so much more. The court has declared states. No, guys, the Constitution did that, which is what the court follows, it being the law and all. It amazes me. These people write this stuff and think that what we're supposed to read this and take direction from this, this is intellectually lazy and flabby. I'll just leave it at that. Let me move on. Um, Why the arguments about bodily autonomy and forced birth do not justify, fail to justify abortion. This is actually from an upcoming book called tearing us apart, how abortion harms everything and solves nothing. Ryan Anderson and Alexandra DeSanctis They say some abortion supporters sense the truth of the basic pro-life argument. The basic pro-life argument is that the unborn child is a human being and a person with moral value, and the state has a legitimate role in protecting the lives of all people. Okay, So some people on the pro-choice side, the pro-abortion side, they sense this. They understand what the pro-life side says. So they make a different case. They essentially concede those three points just for the sake of argument. They argue that the state's protection of innocent life cannot come at the expense of women's bodily autonomy, their control over their own body, right? That is, there are two goods, two states' interests, two states' interests at play when it comes to abortion, and the state needs to balance them, right? So as a result, one significant set of arguments often used by feminists is that abortion is first and foremost— a matter of female autonomy. These thinkers say that without abortion, women cannot control their bodies and their reproductive choices. Even if the unborn child is a human being and a moral person, that does not give him a right to trespass in a woman's body. That's the argument. You've heard people refer to the babies also as parasites, right? But the the attitude is that the, the baby is a trespasser on the mother's property, her body. Women have authority over their own bodies and the need uh, and need the right to abortion in order to be free and equal. We say uh, more about the social equality uh, equality argument in our book, Tearing Us Apart, uh, but here we're going to focus on the bodily autonomy argument. First off, let me just say, the ectopic pregnancy argument that you probably heard something about this weekend being used in this debate where the embryo implants 
and uh, develops in the fallopian tube. Uh, that does not, the ectopic pre uh, pregnancy does not intend, uh, the mother in those pregnancies does not intend to kill the child, but to remove it from developing in a place that's inhospitable for both her and the baby. See, there's a difference there. She foresees, but does not intend that the child will inevitably die as a result. Women seeking abortion, however, don't seek to be unpregnant. That's not what they're seeking just to be unpregnant. They are seeking not to have a living child. There's a difference, right? This is a very big difference. Guttmacher Institute's research shows only 1% of abortions are obtained in cases of rape, a percentage that holds steady across decades of data collection. In consensual sex, even in the case of failed contraception, the man and woman voluntarily engage in the act and brings a new life into existence. The unborn child is not an intruder who uses force and violence to attach himself to the mother, the way a parasite does to a host. The unborn child, rather, is right where he is supposed to be, doing what he's supposed to be doing. Conception is the natural fruit of sex. A child developing in the womb is a sign of reproductive health. Conception and gestation are natural results of sex. People, parents especially, bear responsibilities for the natural consequences of their acts. A man and a woman who voluntarily engage in the act that can create a new life, a life that comes into existence in the condition of radical dependence, owes duties and justice to care for that new life. You have a responsibility. This is the heart of parental obligation. Pregnancy for a lot of women can be a burden, that is true, and for some it can entail grave physical costs. But that does not justify the intentional killing of another innocent person. And not just any innocent person, the woman's child. Missing from the bodily autonomy arguments for abortion is any recognition that a moral relationship between mother and child already exists by the time the woman is contemplating the abortion. You have a moral relationship with that baby. Both mother and father have natural duties to protect and care for their children, regardless of whether they're wanted or unwanted, planned or a surprised or a surprise, perfect or defective. It doesn't matter. The analogy seems apt only when pregnancy in question was the result of a rape. That's the one percent that I mentioned. The first three steps of our book's argument, they say, is that a new human being comes into existence at conception. You don't have to agree with that, but this is their argument. Human beings, that's number one, conception. Number two, human beings possess intrinsic dignity and worth. And three, government exists to protect innocent human beings from lethal violence. These three steps explain the long moral and legal tradition against murder. Examining the bodily autonomy argument for abortion highlights another pro-life point, which is, Abortion is wrong not only because strangers shouldn't kill each other, but also, and especially because, parents have special obligations to their kids. And it isn't government overreach to require parents to fulfill those obligations. The unborn child in the womb is not an intruder or a parasite. He is exactly where he's supposed to be, doing what he's supposed to be doing. And his parents are supposed to be nurturing, protecting, and loving him. Though some parents cannot care for their child after birth, they have a responsibility, at least, to bring the child into the world and find somebody who could care for him. And this then sort of exposes the difference when you say 
It's not that they don't, they want to be unpregnant. It's that they don't want the child on the planet. Those are different things. I'll explain in a minute. News Talk 1110993WBT. This bodily autonomy argument from uh, the pro choice folks um, is responded to by Ryan Anderson and Alexandra DeSanctis in a book that they have, uh, it's forthcoming called Tearing Us Apart How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Uh, they say, if, when, let me back up, hang on. They say, uh, this forced pregnancy, forced birth, bodily autonomy, right? They make these arguments, uh, abortion proponents describing the right to abortion with euphemisms focused on women's right to self-determination, bodily autonomy from the right to choose, reproductive rights or reproductive freedom, right? These are the, these are the, the words that they use. They claim pro-lifers favor forced pregnancy, forced births, and by this, abortion supporters mean that if you oppose legal abortions, you favor forcing women to be pregnant and to give birth against their will, a denial of bodily autonomy, right? This line of argument so popular among abortion supporters that it even appeared during the oral arguments at the Supreme Court case on this matter. In her opening argument against Mississippi's 15-week ban on abortion, attorney Julie Reichelman, or Reichelman, she said... Quote, for a state to take control of a woman's body and demand that she go through pregnancy and childbirth with all the physical risks and life-altering consequences that it brings is a fundamental deprivation of her liberty. Like most supporters of abortion, Rickleman is speaking as though she has no idea where babies came from. <laughs> but we all know that sex naturally leads to children. As our Ethics and Public Policy Center colleague Erica Bakioki has noted, the original feminist movement was staunchly anti-abortion. Did you know that? And in favor of voluntary motherhood. These feminists knew that bodily autonomy meant that women must consent to sex if it is to be just, including in the context of marriage, but that no one could rightly consent to killing an unborn child. That is, reproductive freedom applies prior to conception. Reproductive freedom applies prior to conception. You know, when, when reproduction takes place. After conception, the issue is no longer reproductive freedom, but rather ending a life that has already been produced. No one is in favor of forced pregnancy or forced childbirth. Women should be free to decide whether or not to have children. But the way in which they exercise that freedom, not to have children cannot entail the killing of the children that they have already conceived. See, this is the pro-life position. One of the other lawyers in this Dobbs case, U.S. Solicitor, uh, Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogar, Prelogar, Prelog, whatever. Uh, anyway, her argument was that the right to abortion is more than a right to terminate pregnancy or reject parenthood. As she herself said in her argument, part of the goal is to allow the woman not to have a child in the world, end quote. That's part of the goal. The intention in abortion, then, is not to remove a child from the womb, but to make the child no longer exist. That's the point. To make sure that child no longer exists. 
In the view of many abortion supporters, the right to abortion is the right to a dead baby. A National Review editorial put a fine point on it, quote, Abortion is valuable. It has constitutional status because it lets mothers and fathers come as close as scalpel and poison can bring them to pretending that they were never parents at all. The bodily autonomy arguments for abortion fail to acknowledge that our liberties have limits. You notice you're not hearing anybody talking about yelling fire in a movie theater as a balance to the, to the rights enumerated, you know? One standard limit on our liberty, though, is that you're not allowed to intentionally kill innocent people. That's a pretty big one, right? Not allowed. That may be news to some folks, but that's not allowed. There is simply no plausible scientific case that the unborn child is anything other than a human being at a certain early stage of development, at an early age of life. Likewise, the attempts to acknowledge the humanity of the unborn child but deny his moral worth and value, the various personhood debates, they lack a firm philosophical foundation. They rely on implausible philosophical theories and lead to morally abhorrent conclusions that we would never embrace in other circumstances. This is how you get that guy who was talking about the umbilical cord, the feeding tube, and it's not a real person with rights until it's not attached with a feeding tube. That's how you end up getting there, which then, of course, opens the door for, like, okay, so we can just murder everybody who's on a feeding tube? Like 50-year-olds, 40, 30, 20, anybody any age? The pro-life position alone is coherent. All human beings are moral persons, Because human nature is a rational nature that grounds our personal worth. The law should refuse to endorse such arbitrary standards of personhood and in so doing, protect us all. This is why the argument I keep making, the question I keep making, why do rights or when do rights attach? This is why it's so important. Why it's so valuable. I urge you to adopt this approach in your own discussions. 